0: says, get that India, big boy.
1: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the tip sheet podcast as always i'm your host john also known as 4020 and it is a beautiful wednesday afternoon here at the end of july and would you look at the time news team assemble Joining me to break down what is probably one of the most controversial weeks we've had in a long time in the NRL is my good mate, Sixties. How are you doing, big fella?
0: Mate, I almost feel like I'm on on roving reporter duty (laughs) today after getting out there for the uh, GIO Schoolboys Cup up at Kellyville this morning and uh, dashing back home ready for the podcast.
1: And of course, we couldn't do a breakdown of all the news and drama from the NRL without our own resident expert from TGB. Spiro, how are you doing, big fella?
2: Well, thanks, guys. As you mentioned in the intro there, Jono, it's been a huge week, one of the biggest I've ever seen. And oh, my goodness. Really looking forward to jumping into it all and, and dissecting it all with you boys this afternoon.
1: And it's a case of where do we start because the, the, the Monday morning after – Leading into that grey man, as we debriefing from the round nineteen action, was one of the most manic, and just when you thought nothing could top the fallout from that North Queensland West Tigers game, we had the Manly furore. So I don't know where we're going to start, boys. Do we go to Manly? Do we go to the that game up in North Queensland? Do we go to the Gold Coast? Where do you want to start for all the stuff that came out of last week?
0: Oh mate, I, I want to get in. I want to jump into the Manly. Yeah, Okay. The main, main story. Pro- probably,
1: probably the highest profile one. And on a, on a day where surely no one could have trumped the bunker in the NRL as being the big arc villains of the week, it came out that uh, Manly, who had announced, was it five weeks ago, they were going to be wearing a gay pride jersey in round 20. Uh, obviously, Manly having uh, one of the most uh, famous openly gay players in Ian Roberts, who was, you know, an absolute... Uh, know enforcer during his time and one of the great players of that era uh, that really carried the banner for gay pride in NRL and they were trying to celebrate that and then unfortunately uh, it's come out that the playing group and the coaches were not advised and there is a contingent a large contingent of manly players that refused to wear the jersey and will not be taking part in round 20 as a result so this has got a lot of layers to it and I'm happy to let you two start to unweave them for listeners.
2: So to, be, to begin with, um, 60s, and, and keen to hear your take on this as a first point of call, the timing of it, right? So this is women in league round, such an important week of the NRL calendar where we pay tribute to and acknowledge the contribution of women in our game, both on and off the field. We've seen the NRLW grow and the women's playing aspect of the game grow a lot. And also, from an administration point of view, we've got one of the, uh, one of the first women commissioners in the ARL, on the ARL board. So, very significant, their contribution. And that really should have been the focus of this week. So, my first issue is Manly's timing of this. The emphasis really should be on women in league round rather than a pride round sort of thing. And if they wanted to bring this jersey in, this was not the week to do it. The other issue I have, and I'm keen to hear your take on this as well, is that it's actually the inaugural Gotcha for Life Cup. Now, if you're not sure what Gotcha for Life is, it's a mental health foundation set up by Gus Warland, who's in the media. He's a radio host on Triple M, and he's done a little bit of work on Fox Sports. He supports the Roosters, and his good mate Hugh Jackman supports Manly, and they penciled this game in as an opportunity to raise awareness for mental health as well. And that has been overshadowed this week by this pride jersey. So in my view... To begin with, I just feel like the timing of this has been pretty poor on Manly's part.
1: So it's not to say that they shouldn't have a Pride jersey, but they should have scheduled it at the very least for a different round where there wasn't so many conflicting themes that are already entrenched, you know, be it Women in the League or the Gotcha Cup. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: look, there's, there's so many layers of this that are a complete stuff-up that it's unbelievable. For, I mean... I think they've started to now talk about it as an inclusion pride jersey rather than a a, a gay pride jersey. But regardless of, of what it is from, from that perspective, let's just talk about the, the sequence of events. Spiro's just mentioned there about it's the women in league round. So I go not just to the manly side of things, but also a little bit to the NRL, because to get a jersey approved to wear during the year, you have to go through.
1: There's an accreditation uh, process essentially,
0: yeah. There there is a process to go through. So you'd imagine that the, the conversation would have had to have been in round 20, we are going to wear an inclusion jersey or an inclusion pride jersey or a gay pride jersey whichever whichever way they were going to uh, promote the jersey and the event, then you'd think someone at the NRL at that point might go, do you realise that's the women in league round? So you'd think, has there been something that's maybe would have been spoken about then? Um, then you also think to yourself with it that you've got, as you said, the... Um, got gotcha for life. life cup that was going to be there. So you think, okay, that's a second event already planned for round twenty, around, and that one specifically for Manly. And then finally, you think to yourself, maybe at that point where we have so many um, committed Christian players, especially of Pacifica background, that play in 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 the game, that a consultation process for a jersey and, you know, if, if if we're talking about it being an inclusion jersey rather than a gay pride jersey, that there's a discussion that goes on about that. And that discussion is not a couple of days before the game, but rather, you know, weeks back, so that you can start that process of working through what is the goals of this jersey. The goals of the jersey is to say everyone is welcome to play rugby league and this is this is what we're looking to promote. And I think to myself, did the anyone at the NRL say to them, have you had a consultation process with the players? Did anyone at Manly think to say, well, maybe we should have a consultation process with the players? Um Look, maybe you, people might be of the opinion that why should you have a consultation process? But I think that, that's in an idealistic world maybe, but in the reality that we, that we are in in the, in, in the current um, world that we live in, people have different values and beliefs and what have you. And, it, and it's what is the problem with communication and talking through things? Yeah, you're not going to achieve too much talking through things a few days before the event. It's, and I just think the Manly Club hasn't won any any fans through this. The players that are involved, they they are their names are now known. How uncomfortable might they feel about this? Has um, the has the community that. They were looking to include now feel excluded, and different. Like, it just feels like so many la- so many layers to it. Where when a decision was made somewhere, it 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 was wrong. It was just. And you're wrong.
2: right, sixties. You're right because there are no winners out of this. That's the that's the problem now that all stakeholders have been affected in a negative way, and you 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 tick them off perfectly. The players involved feeling uncomfortable, being named and shamed, the community that this was meant to actually represent, feeling offended, all these things, all these stakeholders, the Manly Club have been affected, the NRO have been affected. It's been a, a, just a, a total mess, right? So I, I'm with you and even and Gus Warland as well. You know, someone, poor Gussie sitting there thinking that this was going to be an opportunity to raise awareness about an important issue in mental fitness, mental health, and he has also missed an opportunity. So no one wins out of this, right? On to the second part of the issue, Right on whether these players should have been allowed to uh, sit out and boycott wearing the jersey. In my view, my take very simple that I support the players. At the end of the day, they have cultural and religious views and beliefs. They have the right to be able to object to wearing a jersey or wearing something which makes them feel uncomfortable, but also goes against their beliefs. Right, and this is in no way knocking down Manly and having the idea of a pride jersey. That's their decision and. And it's important to recognise all communities. However, the way they've gone about it is wrong. And I respect the views of the players that are going to sit out. Now, um, as you said, they are probably going to feel very uncomfortable being named and shamed. If Manly had had a consultation process prior to all of this, maybe they would have scrapped the idea in the first place. Or maybe they would have gone about it differently. And that could have avoided a lot of the criticism and scrutiny aimed at those seven players. So in my view, I understand where they're coming from. From I think um, you know it's the right thing for them to be able to sit out, and you've got to respect
0: all their views in this case as well, right? Yeah, a- absolutely. And and the thing is that uh, I'm sure, and it, it's probably would have been a case where it might not have mattered which club went down this path that Manly's gone down. If you any club had taken the process that Manly had. The wrong process, you would have you would have probably still seen a very similar outcome. And as I said, I, I I don't put the manly management or executives who were ticking off on this. I don't I don't just hold them to account with this. I hold the NRL to account because, as I mentioned before. A jersey has to be ticked off and approved. There has to be a plan for when they're going to wear it. And I, I just cannot believe I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe the people at the NRL did say to Manly, hey, have you, do you know it is women in league round? Um, have you consulted with the players with regard to it? Maybe, maybe they did say that. Maybe it was ignored. I don't know. I mean, you only have to have a look at, um, Uh, For example, uh, just to let people be aware of of how much um, is taken in when it comes to the jerseys that are being worn, the Anzac J jersey that Parramatta wore this year was not received very well by supporters. However, that was not the original colours. So when Parramatta submitted the colours for that round, And this is going way back. They were told, and a long way in advance, that will be an away game for you against the Newcastle Knights. So the colour scheme that you've chosen for your Anzac jersey will have to switch to an alternate colour. And, of course, the alternate colour didn't look so great in that jersey. But that was because it wasn't planned with an alternate colour. It was the NRL had picked it up and said, blah, 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 right down the track, all these rounds in advance. Well, it was probably even before the start of the season. You are drawn to play the Newcastle Knights away from home. You can't wear that jersey. So that's that's the sort of hoops that a jersey selection has to get through. So someone at the NRL or multiple people at the NRL were well aware of Manley's plans for this weekend and whether they have stepped in or not, you've either got two instances, either they've given some advice to Manly, which Manly have decided to ignore, or they didn't, which would I think would even be worse. So,
2: in there terms are people- of the
0: NRL, in terms of the NRL '60s,
2: Peter Valandis came out and said that he only had it brought to his attention on I believe Monday morning. So. It, that's a problem, right? That The communication is not there, and even within the NRL, not aimed at the bosses or or Peter Valandis or Andrew Abdo, someone below hasn't communicated that to the bosses. So that's a
0: problem as well, right? Yeah, like there's it. It's like along the whole way that there's been assumptions made, like where people just think, oh yeah, that'll be okay. I mean, that's how I read it because if the boss of the game isn't made aware of Uh, of a jersey change. Well, look, maybe I can understand that because he employs people that can be delegated responsibility for this sort of thing. He probably doesn't need to be made aware of everything. However, with something as significant as this, you would think that whoever in the NRL received the design for that would at some stage maybe go to the head of the game and say, you know, by an email or whatever the case may be. Hey, heads up, like, there's a pretty significant jersey that's going to be worn by the Manly Club in round 20. It's a pride jersey. We've never had a pride jersey worn in the NRL before. What do you think of it? You would think that, wouldn't you? I mean, it's that's a that's a big that's a big thing. He he's probably not gonna be sent every Design that's there for Anzac round or or, um, or or a heritage round or anything like that for him to put his tick of approval on. He has people that can do that. But man, the first time that a pride jersey's been worn by a club, yeah, I, I reckon that I reckon that should have gone to him just to make him aware. Because wouldn't it have been you know it would have been likely that at some stage. He would have been asked, maybe in a, a press conference, "What do you think of the fact that the Manly Club is the first club to re, to wear a, a pride jersey?" And surely his answer would, surely his answer wouldn't have been, "Oh, I wasn't aware of it." You know, hmm. I imagine. Well, it, uh, well, could
2: have been. It could have been yeah. because you know
0: it wasn't communicated to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. On to the other
2: part as well, sixties about. Um, the club now I've got some strong views in terms of the way that the club have handled this and when you mentioned the notice and I know that John said it in the intro that it was announced five weeks ago I really wasn't aware until Sunday night when the story broke in the papers now Manly uh, emailed me a release I'll get you the time at 8 41 a.m. Monday morning with a, a statement video and footage still shots of the um, the the Everyone in league jersey, that's what they're calling it, right? And on, the, on this statement, what the funny thing is, is that the interim CEO at Manly, Gary Wollman, uh, issued a bit of a statement saying, you know, that he was proud of the jersey and, and about the diverse history of the club, et cetera, et cetera. Now, he was good enough to put his name on a statement on Monday morning uh, promoting the jersey and advocating how good it was. But where was he yesterday when push came to shove? The media were there demanding answers, and he was missing. They left it to Des Hasler. Now, credit to Des. I've got to say, I've watched a lot of his press conferences, especially over the last couple of years. The way he handled that was absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He had a written, prepared statement. You could tell that it meant something to him, and he did mention that he wasn't forced to stand or do that. So Des very well may have said, I'm going to put my hand up and, and, and go out and speak publicly on this issue to the media. However... The boss of the club, even if he's an interim CEO, should step up to the plate and confront this head on. It should not be left to the coach who has no decision or say in the creation of this idea or this jersey to cover the cover his club up, if you know what I mean.
1: So oh, credit
2: to Des, credit to Des, But from the club's point of view, there are some serious issues, poor crisis management, as simple as you can put it. That's as blunt as I can be, and it's the truth, because this has been really poorly handled by Manly. It's been terribly handled. Now, the only thing which I agree with, and this is more than anything, it's, I think it was Dez's decision, is that they've allowed the players that don't want to wear the jersey to sit out. They've given them the tick of approval. Now, that was something Des did and gave his support of. So that's the only thing that I can... Um, give credit to the club for, the way that Des has handled this whole thing. But in terms of management,
0: it has been absolutely ridiculous the way they've dealt with this. Two things from that too. First of all, when he was asked, why isn't someone from management here as part of this press conference? Why is it up to you? And he said, you'd have to ask them that. And I thought, you know what? Um, Good on you for basically saying... I'm not going to answer that question because why should he then um you know find an excuse for management in that instance. So I was I was glad of him doing that. It there were parts that felt reminiscent of of, of when BA was fronting the media during the um salary cap crisis in 2016. Um it just it it, it had a it had a familiar feel about that. Uh but then um, further to that about uh, about um, uh, what des had to say he did say that the club had considered withholding their pay the players pay if they if they stood themselves down and I thought and, and he said ultimately it was decided not to and I thought can you imagine the fallout from that as well if you you know like if they'd been told they' either wear that jersey, or they don't, and they say they don't. And they go, okay. Well, we're going to fine you. We're going to we're going to dock your pay mm. for for well, not wearing that jersey.
1: I'll I'll take the adversarial point of view here and perhaps fittingly be the devil's advocate, given the nature of the content. There is no doubting that the manly management completely bungled this. From you know where the communications of the NRL, whether they did or did not go through the correct processes, and especially with how they hung out Des and Daly Cherry Evans to handle all the fallout. Uh, post you know sort of Monday uh, once it, the drama broke out, but on the flip side, I know you said Spiro, about that you know you don't want the players to be named and shamed, but part of me also sits there and says, Where was this when points bet became a sponsor, the primary sponsor on the Manly jersey? because the Bible while it doesn't strictly speak against gambling, it does talk about you know being against the covetous nature of wealth which gambling does fall under. Where was this with all the alcohol sponsorship that's in the game? How come no one took a stand up until now? So while they are free to take a stand against the uh, inclusion jersey, gay pride jersey, whatever they want to call it, you know, they they're not free of the consequences of public opinion from it. And I, you know, and certainly while it can fall within their belief spectrum as Christians, I just there is a segment of the public that's saying, well, where were you when it came to betting and gambling in the game? Why is it this why is it this that is, you know, the breaking point or tipping point when it comes to jerseys? So I don't know, like I, like we've been saying along, this is a very complex issue, you know, and, and cynically, you could also look at Manly saying, you know, is this just a, a sort of token corporate gesture to, you know, to the LGBT community? Because, you know, we see about a lot of times of, you know, big companies these days about, you know, cashing in on, on sort of, you know, popular minority stuff to be part of the the trend. But I don't know, like.
2: I, look, you make a valid point And, um, And what we've seen in terms of the popularity of this thing, it's sold out. It's been a really a huge hit for the club in terms of what you were saying about, you know, the points. But I I get that point of view as well. I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I don't know the actual, uh, the religious um, beliefs which actually state that um, the, you know, the Polynesian, faith are against or they don't support homosexuality i I don't know exactly where that comes from but like you say like you know there has been talk around you know advertising a gambling sponsor or playing at a stadium where um an alcohol company is sponsoring it so you make a valid point as well this is such a touchy issue and i think because it's political as well that also adds an extra element of complication to it and because it's never been done before and and whatnot, it adds an extra layer of, of complication and, and controversy. So, it's a very interesting conversation. You know, there are so many different
0: ways you can look at it, but you make a valid point, John. And, and the uh, I was going to say the the other thing too is, and and I'm and I'm trying to get I'm trying to remember the exact details of it, but I am sure that when he returned to the NRL, that Sonny Bill made a stance. Uh, with the Roosters with, uh, was it gambling that was on their jersey at the time? Unibet, Unibet, that's right. That's it, yes. And and he said he wasn't going to wear that because his religious beliefs were against gambling and the Roosters Club allowed him to not wear that particular uh, jersey. Now, it's probably a little bit different in that you are talking about inclusion exclusion of uh, people as opposed to a product and that that sort of might be the the area where it's a little bit it, it starts to become uh, tough with where where do you where do you stand and what is the highest moral ground? should you be um, is it is it a, a, a greater moral ground to be, um, not wanting to wear something that symbolises uh, a lifestyle or nah. – yeah, this is a really tricky area to get oh, into. Maybe this, something- this, is,
1: this is incredibly deep, and this is a conversation that is going to carry on for a long time for both Manly yeah. when it comes to what do they now do with these players because there are some important core young players in that group of seven, let alone the, the fact that they approached – young players to replace them who also took the same stance, which was a you know another oh, crazy yeah, twist yeah. in the saga. But then also for the game itself, and you talk about inclusion, because now immediately the conversation jumps to, from the public, well, why don't we just have the inclusion or, or pride round as a round for all teams? Yeah,
0: and, and I started to use the word <clears throat> lifestyle, and it was wrong to use the word lifestyle, because we're talking about an identity of yeah, people. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And that and the, and the people, um, you know, may... One stance excludes people on the basis of who they are as opposed to excludes a lifestyle of, of, of gambling or alcohol or, or what have you. That's that's really what I was trying to get at with mm-hmm. that. But you know, it's it's one of those conversations where because it's it it digs deep into people's belief systems and You know, sometimes you, you, it can be difficult to join in on the debate and to maybe have something that you say be taken the wrong way. I mean, I've even been guarded with, um, as an example just then, making sure that I'm expressing what I'm trying to say in the right way because, and this is why, this is where I, I want to come back to with communication and discussions like if that had been done as part of the first steps the first process of of communicating like this is what we're what was the what was what they were naming it spiro that they said in that email to you what the jersey was called the everyone in league jersey so yeah i mean if it's called an everyone in league jersey then it's, it's unlikely that, because that, that I, I know that we started off, we're, we're talking about being, it being a pride jersey and a gay pride jersey and, and that sort of thing. But if that is just talking about an inclusiveness and an everyone in league, and, it, and yes, we know that a big part of that is saying that the um, LGBTQ is, is a big part of that inclusivity there that um but if that had been communicated to the players and they're told look this is just and everyone that we accept everyone regardless regardless and and that it's not we're not just talking about um uh, a, a the identity of people who you know that you don't agree with how who they are uh, based on their sexual orientation that it's not about that that it's about everyone and total inclusivity. Maybe we don't go down this path. Maybe that communication is is part of it. Because I, you know, I, I, it's hard to say anything more. Because you, in some senses, you're trying to you're trying to put the rationale of the players into your own words. Whereas you know, I haven't spoken to any of them. I'm. It's all supposition. What their what their thought processes are. And in trying to understand their thought process, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes and be them. I can't. Just two it's quick things ma- before
2: we we move on from this one, if I can just add quickly, I agree with what you're saying there, 60s about, and everyone in league jersey, that name representing more than just the LGBTQI plus community. However, the colors, when you bring that rainbow in, it's a, it's not a stereotype, it's just where our minds go to and what that represents yeah. is that community. I mean, it's, it's, a very, now, it's a
1: very powerful symbol, isn't it? Like it's that's it's right. Something, it is, no? It's something they've spent but, a long time making powerful for good reasons. So when mm, you when you invoke those colours, they obviously have a, a meaning beyond you know everyone in the league. You're you're you know putting the focus on the LGBTQI plus community. And yeah. the
2: the Seagulls I feel try to probably try and work around that by calling it an everyone in league jersey rather than a than a pride jersey to try and defend themselves and say, "Look, it's not just LGBTQI plus; it's everyone." As Des mentioned, one of his friends who has a neuro uh, disease, neurological disease, he uses the rainbow colours as a way to represent his disability. Now, I didn't know that, but I just think you're, you're fighting fire with fire when you put a, a rainbow and you're saying, "Well, it's not just representing that; it's meant to represent everyone." So it's a, it's a bit messy. Their messaging was confusing. Um, yeah. so, so that's that's my take on it all. Now, just quickly, on a pride round, you you mentioned it, and there's talk that it may be in the works. I can never really see it, ha- it happen, guys. I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but because of the amount of Polynesian players we have in the NRL, we've seen one club, seven players. I know they've got a lot of Polynesian players at Manly, but you look at other clubs across the NRL, the Panthers and Parramatta and whatnot, there are a lot of players that have views. Even you've got some Muslim players in some clubs, and once they are, you know, put in that awkward position, it's going to cause a lot of tension across the game, and I just don't see it happening
0: yet. At I the mean, moment. we're we're, you know, in identifying, say, the uh, Pacifica boys who are deeply religious. That's not to say there aren't deeply religious peoples of, of all sorts of cultural backgrounds who who it, it it might be putting them in an awkward position, but. Um, Last night there was um, – I think it was last night or the night before anyway when um, I think it was Tim Manner was asked about it on NRL Tonight and he immediately spoke about, um, well, we could have a religious round recognising, um, you know, the importance of faith to people and you could be – and I think there was another round mentioned and I'm thinking, okay, as soon as we start talking about rounds – for um, really diverse groups, then we do start to get into, um, like, a a, a sticky territory. Does the NRL need to have um, rounds that identify every group within the community to say that they are a sport for everyone? Now, the... I think the uh, an Indigenous round, a multicultural round, um, a women in league round, um, an ANZAC round. I mean, we're, we're talking about covering a lot of groups within the community. Like, they go across.
1: Well, that's why across I said that a cynic,
0: across culture.
1: A cynic could look at it and say that a lot of this is driven corporately to sell jerseys. You know, more jersey sales for different jerseys. And you know, they sort of you hitch your wagon to whatever is the trendy, um, you know, group or, or cause to you know promote. And while some of it would be in, in good nature, absolutely, it's yeah, <laughs> I mean, we, we do know that uh, people do love to sell things, but look, very complex issue. Trent Robinson has a great response today, he just came out in the City Morning Herald, I think 12 minutes ago. Um, apparently, the Roosters have had you know, fairly, uh, Serious discussions and they've agreed that their, cl- their playing group would be happy to wear the jersey. And he mentioned that the game's come a long way on several fronts. You know, 40 years ago, wouldn't have had an Indigenous uh, jersey or an Indigenous round. You know, 10 years ago, wouldn't have had a women league round. So he he, he speaks very strongly on it. And I do encourage people to read that article to get a different take on it. Uh, but yeah, you know, like I said, this conversation isn't going away. If anything, it's, no, going, to, it's not. going to get not. you know stronger and stronger because this is... I hate to say a battleground, but you know, given what's been fought, you know, in terms of civil rights and whatnot for people of this particular community or communities, because it isn't just you know gay or bi or transgender. It's very broad. Um, umbrellas over the right word for it. But yeah, this is going to be very. Uh, I mean, as an outsider looking in, it, it's interesting in, in probably the worst kind of way. But yeah, this is uh, something the games we have to deal with for quite some time.
0: And I think. Y- the fact that you mentioned that uh, Trent Robinson has said that the the Roosters Club has had discussions, it straight away comes back to one of the first points that we made, which is communication. Like right? if you, you communicate, you get people to buy in, or um, accept, or, or or take ownership, whatever the case may be, but. The moment that you say to people, this is just how it is, and you don't have a say in it, for a, in a subject like this, it's where, that's where, and, and, you know, communication is the key to helping to understand the other people's perspectives. Um, and, and the moment that you, in, in areas like this, where we need more education, where you need more tolerance, that you can't just say to someone, Um, you need to be more tolerant. It's a process uh, that people have to go through because there are belief systems that are important to everyone. And you can't say to someone, you know what, your belief system doesn't matter or your belief system doesn't apply. You give them the process of explaining what everything's about and then they make a decision about does their belief system apply in this? Are they comfortable with their 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 how their beliefs how they're gonna use their um, belief system in this situation? Maybe uses the wrong word. But you get what I'm saying with that, you know, it's like it's like a a, a process of, of discovery or, otherwise
2: that's not inclusivity. That that goes against inclusivity. Because it, if you're not respecting
0: exactly. or consulting everyone, then that's, that's not it. fair. That's it. That that, so, that comes to hmm. the heart of it is that in their in their process towards having an inclusion jersey, they adopted a process which wasn't inclusive, and that's probably what it comes down to. You know, like they were they were actually doing the opposite of what they needed to do, which was to include everyone in the in the in the decision making process. So All right, well, anyway, we we've and, got to keep and, on. And we do understand that you know, there's times when you just have to say, "Look, this is how it is." In business, or, or you know, any any sort of organisation, but I think this one was one where communication was going to be important. But boy, have we spent some yeah, time. Yeah, we just do need to keep on moving that. because it has
1: been half an hour talking about. And to be fair, the biggest issue in the game this week, but it wasn't the only issue. We mentioned it at the kickoff of this show. This was a week of drama for the NRL, and if this was the uh, the in terms of Godlocks, the Papa Bear's bed of you know drama on the other side, on the smaller scale, we go to the Gold Coast where. Uh, Kevin Proctor had his contract torn up over a scandal involving vaping at the stadium at time, which I understand was against stadium protocol, and that's what the Gold Coast Titans have gotten him on. Uh, In terms of NRL dramas, this is almost a a one or not even a one on the Richter scale. Was this a case of the Titans just looking to get out of a bad contract, boys?
2: Or was it him? Or was it him? I, did he do it on purpose? Yeah, well, yeah. The point 60s. But for me, right, my stance on this is, okay, look at vaping as an issue, right? Do I have an issue with vaping? No. People should be entitled to do what they want. There are probably lots of players across the NRL that vape, right? So in terms of vaping, not an issue. However, if you're in a, a club situation during a game in a venue, NRL venue, which prohibits smoking and doing that, well, you're breaking the rules and you're doing it in club colours and you're publishing it on social media and you're bringing the game to disrepute <laughs> by promoting that kind of behaviour. So for me... And you're uh, a leader
0: and you're one of the senior players. Exactly you're right.
2: Good. He used to be the captain, right? So for me, Proctor, totally in the wrong, right? He's a he's a fool. He's an idiot for doing what he did. And he deserves to, to cop the sack, right? I think that there's no questions asked. It's fair. He should have been punished and he should have been... Gone Because that sort of behavior is not right. Now, the other part of the story, which I don't think enough people have focused on, right, is the wording of what he posted on his Instagram story and given the nature of it. Because it was halftime, the Titans were down, they were getting flogged by the Bulldogs, right? And his caption was, not the halftime vape. Now, for people that might not know what that means, he's basically tipping shit on his own team. And he's basically saying, that they're that hopeless and, you know, we're just giving up in in other words. That sort of phrasing and messaging, which I've seen before, is basically saying that, oh, you know, you're that bad that, you know, we're we're resorting to this, you know, we're giving up and resorting to vaping, whatever. So right, the messaging it. of that actually has a, a hidden meaning and it's totally out of line and it's disrespectful to his own playing group. So he, he's, he's done all the wrong things. And, of course, the Proctor's
1: Proctor. no stranger to controversy. He was uh, – Suspended, but the club did stand by him with the cocaine scandal at Canberra uh, going back a couple of years now. So, yeah, this was With the a, Kiwi side, yeah. Yes, so this wasn't a first infringement for Proctor. He was only contracted at the end of this year, I believe, so it's not like they did make huge savings. It was probably more of a cultural uh, stance the club was taking, given that there seems to be, you know, a bit of smoke there with the Titans now with uh, players even misbehaving or being unhappy at other players misbehaving. So definitely something to keep track of but you have to have a line
0: in the sand when it comes to the greater good of the culture of the club and as you say they're a club that's that's heading south in a big way when it when it comes to
1: big expectations this year on the field they have not lived up to them the gold coast and not just with the titans but with essentially every sporting franchise that goes there has always had off-field cultural issues due to the nature of the Gold Coast itself, it would seem. And yeah, unfortunately for the Titans and their coach, Justin Holbrook, it's a very hot seat up there and there's a lot of issues that are just sort of bubbling away under the surface, it looks like.
0: Well, if if you're going to have, as I said, a senior player doing that, I mean, if you you didn't take the strongest possible stance, you're sending a bad message to the the rest of your your club. So... um, Sorry, just had to uh, put a call in silent there. Um, forgot to hit the phone uh, silent mode on the phone. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a it's a really important thing for, culturally for the club. But um, mate, that those two issues, you would have had the uh, NRL and the referees rubbing their hands with glee about the heat being taken well, off them. Incredibly,
1: then. in any other week, then this story would be. The most important story of the year, in a way, because it almost it almost questions the integrity of the game, given what happened at the end of this result. But going back to Sunday, uh, North Queensland Cowboys hosting the West Tigers. In terms of tipsters, I think everyone had it as an open shut Cowboys going to roll the Tigers easy by thirteen plus. If you're into that sort of thing, um, but you know, lo and behold, the West Tigers completely you know different outfit for whatever reason this game they turn up they get the early lead they then uh you know fight back from uh a late deficit to seemingly have game one and and then we get to a a literally one second left on the clock kickoff uh, which was taken over halfway which is illegal which then features a no call on an obstruction which i thought was the, the correct uh call i didn't think that the 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 Tigers, or there's there's also a Cowboys, Tolongi too, or something similar, uh, veered off his line. Uh, Kapowa, yeah. Actually uh, uh Yeah, uh, sorry, Kapowa. And, uh, you know, which then leads to a challenge, which there wasn't a, a call made by the ref, so the expectation was you couldn't challenge it. Uh, yeah, uh, and then yeah, the the bunker, sorry, Annesley comes out on Monday and has a bite both ways, says that the challenge itself was legal to be made but the wrong call was made uh he, he made up, I, I swear he made up something about the uh about the first whistle of the you know when the ref goes the short whistle.
0: yeah the, whistle, the short whistle, whistle
1: is 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 what you can challenge on because it, it signals an end of play but not an end of the game so the uh you talk about layers this is a ball of yarn that you could pull apart a ton of different ways West Tigers fans, I don't really ever sympathize with you, but this was a case where you got darted something fierce. Uh, we're, We're still at the point where, as of Wednesday, there's still talk about them contesting the result. And this is one of those cases where, if they were to contest the result, this is open and shut as to whether the game could be turned around because the game was over. The Tigers had won. They had the lead. So you, it's not like a case of, well, would they have scored or wouldn't they have scored, the game was over. So if this ends up going somewhere down the road in terms of the judicial system or an arbitration system within the inside the NRL, they could absolutely still turn the result over.
2: Yeah, My, takes, my takes, and I'll let Sixties really dissect it because he does his best, right? This is his bread and butter. But in my view, just quickly going through the situation, first of all, Val Holmes was offside, right? So that should have been a penalty to the Tigers from the start. It would have avoided all of this controversy from happening. The captain's challenge, I i, I now understand what Anasie was saying, but really it was a non-play. non, non play. There was nothing that could have been challenged in my view. So the challenge shouldn't shouldn't have been allowed. And the decision from the bunker and Ashley Klein, which I know uh, 60 is going to have a lot to say about him and his uh, recent performances from an officiating point of view – but that was absolutely ridiculous, because Asuka Asukapoa had eyes for the ball, felt Carl felt clearly milked the penalty, and you could even see his reaction afterwards. he was laughing. So for mine, it was wrong on all fronts, from the kickoff to the captain's challenge being allowed to the penalty, it was all out of you know out of line. And um, and in my th- this view, been, I reckon, yeah.
1: This has been brewing for a while. The, the the problem with the bunker being either inconsistent or outright not getting it right based on the rules has been coming for a number of weeks this season. I mean, even this round, we saw wonga Blake have a try taken away that was then greenlit in the South Sydney game that followed the Parramatta Reals later in the week, which was almost mm. a carbon copy. The, the same people are changing their minds on a- identical uh, outcome or, or plays that lead to different outcomes. And in this case... This this was I felt like textbook no core play on game over. And yet we we manufactured a result out of nothing, which then, like I said, caused the integrity of the game to question because there's a lot of money right on this game. Someone had a two hundred thousand dollar bet on the Cowboys to win. You know
2: And the thing is we can't keep having this happen. We can't keep having referees or the bunker make mistakes and come out on Monday morning and Graham Annesley apologizes or he doesn't even apologize. He admits that it was the wrong decision because what good is that going to serve the fans, you know, and the clubs? All right, client um, cops a week off, right? Big deal. What's the what's the big, uh, you know, difference there? He cops a, a slap on the wrist, you know? But the Tigers, right, a club that should have won that game, don't get the two points. They stay... In 16th spot, right, and the Cowboys, and, and not enough people have spoken about this, the implications that that yeah. win has for the for top, the top six, part of the yeah. competition, yeah, because you've got you've got all those teams now that are, um, or the Cowboys that they've leaped ahead. However, if they didn't win that game, I believe there would have been a number of clubs, including North Queensland, on 24, uh, 26 competition points, rather. So, if the Cowboys didn't win, you would have had the Cowboys, yeah. the Sharks, and the Broncos on 26, Melbourne, Rabbitohs, Eels on 24. Yep. Now, that makes that 2-7 to seven a wide-open race for the last five weeks of the competition. But now you've got that buffer, right? So it's going to have huge ramifications for the rest of the competition. If I was the NRL, I know it's a big call, and it's never been done in history. Give the Tigers the two points. Take the two points away from the Cowboys, and end of story. That's
1: it. That's my view. That's my... I, I agree. This seems open-shut to me. The game was over. The process was incredibly wrong by the bunker. This this isn't a case of would the, the Tigers have held on for a set of six and, and, you know, be able to defend. The game was over. They'd won. They were up. So you can reverse the result without feeling like you've uh, compromised the integrity or fabric of the game. So I am 100% on so board with you there, Spiro.
0: It's, it's rumoured, isn't it, that the West Tigers are looking for are looking to go over the communication that was happening between the bunker. Yes, and,
1: because the bunker is not allowed and, to influence the game outside of foul play. I believe when it comes to yeah, life yeah, course.
0: and and whether they were saying to the referee to hold up the game. I want to have a look at this, and um, and, uh, and you know not to see not to blow full time. Now, if that's the case, um, there is an issue because. It it then becomes and look, I don't I don't think the NRL wins out of this because if if that's the case and the West Tigers find that um, if you're the NRL, you almost don't want it to go to a legal challenge because it would be and you wouldn't even want it to come out like you'd want to keep it in house because what that then says about about officials and imposing themselves on the game and the result, it's just ugly. I, I would hate to think that that would have happened, that there would have been communication like that. Um, I'll just get back to my take on it. I, I tweeted at the time that it was one of the most diabolical decisions that I had witnessed in over 50 years of following the game. I mean, I put it right up there. And the reason that I put it right up there is, oh, look, I've seen, I've seen worse calls, but the the difference with the worst calls that I've seen is that they they've been made by a referee on the run out on the field,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they this is by a system that was subject. put in place to there, make there the was, right calls. Yeah, there was, and and in that case, you can make allowances even if you think the ref. Is dodgy in some way. It's almost like you can make allowances for the fact that refereeing out on the field is a tough gig, and there's going to be human error made, and that's just part of it. And yeah, and, and look, I'm talking about. The, I've saw, I've seen some refereeing in the 1970s where I, I say over and over again, I've said it to 40, I've written it in my columns, even for any of the complaining I do about referees, they are so far heads and shoulders above the referees of yesteryear that it's not funny. And, um, and people who lived through the 60s, the 70s, even the early 80s would know what I'm talking about in terms of what you'd have to face in the way of calls. And especially in eras where scrum penalties and things like that used to, used to exist, where you could have anything called and they'd be right. There'd be no way to argue against the decision made. In this instance, you had Ashley Klein having the benefit of a replay and seeing what every one of us saw.
1: Important to frame this, 60s. Ashley Klein, the game's premier referee based on origin appointments, so the number one whistle holder or bunker official in the game, and he got to the wrong outcome.
0: Look, I, I... I didn't even when I I tweeted in sympathy for the for the West Tigers supporters and I also tweeted in anger about the game that I love because it's not a matter of piling onto a referee because as I said referees have a tough job we're talking about someone having the benefit of not only the replays that are there, but someone who has been decades as a top-line referee. Let's not take that out of the game. This is not someone in their first dance making an adjudication. You can't get it that wrong. There is... I mean, it's not even... It's, it's like there's no feel or understanding of the game to make a call like that. It's... It's beyond a disgrace. It really is. And they've got him dropped out of any involvement in the NR Real this weekend. Do you know what? That should have happened after last year's final against Penrith because his on-field performance was was atrocious back then. So, um, look, I, I can't uh, – he, he's a referee with history and I don't want this to be a pile on, but – I, in all honesty, I, I think that I, I'd hate to see him involved in any other games this year. I think it's time for him to retire. I think he's just lost the feel for the game. You cannot make a mistake like that. And as far as the taking the points off the Cowboys and giving it to the Tigers, geez, that would be a dangerous precedent. I don't think the NRL will do it. I don't think there's – even if the Tigers came up with evidence, I don't think they'd do it because – it just, it just opens up a can of worms for future calls where the game goes to court for incorrect referee decisions. Where do they draw the line? Um, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think it was so bad that if they said, I'm, we're giving the two points to the Tigers, taking it off the Cowboys, I wouldn't be jumping up and down and saying you can't do it. But I don't think they should. I, I don't think they can. I really don't think they can. I think it just makes it a mess. Uh, however, let's think down the track. What take do we have if that two points gives the Cowboys a top two placing? Or if it if it pushes a team who should be in the top four out of the top four, If they, if the Cowboys don't hold on to second place if they're in the top four, and someone competing for a top four spot misses out because of that two points that the Cowboys got there. That you know, you mentioned that before. That that's the that's a big ramification that has been spoken about. It wasn't my first thought. Like I was watching the game, just watching it as a spectacle and thinking, My goodness, I think the Tigers are going to win this. And they did. And it should have been game over. But, you know, I wasn't even thinking about the Cowboys points at that stage. I was, I was just angered that someone like Ashley Klein would make a call like that. So, and I think all of us have this fear. If this can happen this time, what stops it from happening again?
1: And of course, I mean, as much as it impacts the top four, it also keeps the Tigers mired in a race for the Wooden Spoon with the Titans. They could have moved two points clear and instead they're both stuck on eight points. So... Yeah, this <laughs> like I said, there there are some implications here that if you once again take a more cynical viewpoint, maybe you've got to follow threads outside of the game because that that sort of core should never happen, and it makes you wonder if there are other influences in the game, which would be very scary. Um,
0: well, I tell you, I, I I worry is has the has the governing body. Been making up rules around the captain's challenge for for a start. Have they been making oh, up? Oh, they've, they've been playing fast, they
1: fast and loose, absolutely, and just setting new precedent after new precedent as something rears its head, and you know, sort of if something conflicts with something else based on precedent, they're sort of like, oh, we'll just deal with it when it happens. So, well,
0: here's 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 the situation at the very least, right? Let's say, for example, that Annesley is completely right that under the under the rules of the captain's challenge that it was perfectly fine to make the challenge under that situation, that they were entitled to it. There was nothing to stop a captain's challenge being made and heard and adjudicated on in that circumstance. So let's say that was allowed. How many people had no clue that that would have been allowed? Well, because bear, like virtually bear, bear every commentator. Every coach, every player, like everyone associated with the game almost, except for maybe the referee and Graham Annesley, would have understood that that was acceptable. That's saying that it is that it was right and they haven't made it up as they've gone. How is it that we have such an important rule and there is no understanding across the clubs, the players, the media, let alone the fans? At the very least any rule that's there, shouldn't everyone be all over it? Absolutely.
1: And bear, hey. in, bear in mind the other wrinkle to all of us too that I haven't seen mentioned was that the Cowboys only had their challenge left in the game because for whatever reason in round 19, the bunker decided that uh, <clears throat> inconclusive evidence to was the phrase they were going to be using all weekend when it came to challenges. And they, they essentially lost the challenge for a strip that they didn't lose their challenge for. Because it was inconclusive, even though I felt like it was not inconclusive. So no. yeah, just a very well, there, very bizarre how, how, sequence.
0: How significant was that call in the scheme of things? Yep. You know, it's it's almost like, do you know what? If that challenge wasn't there, I wonder whether what what might have happened might have been someone's tips to the ref. It's a penalty. He's running interference. Like, somehow the referee mm-hmm. gets a tip on that. Do we still like, have yep. that game? Like, you know, it's like, as I said, it's like the old scrum penalty. You could call it for anything. Now it seems like when you get a bump when someone's chasing, or you get a bump in uh, an obstruction call, or someone runs a line, um, you can call it one way or the other, and you'll be defended. <laughs> yep but uh, you'll be justified what you've said is justified. It, it's literally the obstruction rule and the and the um, escort rule are like the scrum rules of yesterday uh, we 100%. have no idea what they're going to call
1: and as with the other League story we had in this podcast this is not the last we've heard of this it feels like obviously the West Tiger is still considering some sort of legal recourse and uh you know Ashley Klein has been dropped. From all action this week, it remains to be seen how long that uh, internal suspension will last. But yeah, we're not done with this chapter or this black eye for the NRL. But we do need to keep moving. We're approaching an hour of recording here. We've barely gotten through half our content.
0: We did did say, didn't we, Spiro? This was going to be a massive... News episode
2: Unbelievable And
0: and we haven't even spoken Really a word
2: about Parametta No yet. nothing
1: about the Eels yet But we're not We're not even at the Eels just yet Because it was also a busy week For the MRC And the judiciary There was a direct referral To the judiciary and then it was also a, a charge for Dal Finucane. So Corey Waddell was a player mm. referred directly for an eye-gouging charge in the game against the Titans. On Was it Tino that he was alleged to have eye-gouged?
2: Tino, yep. yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh,
1: and then Dale Fanukin with a high shot on Stephen Crichton, which actually plays into our game against Penrith because Crichton is now going to miss this game. Uh, mm. uh, Fanukin made high contact with the side of Crichton's head, which led to him splitting the ear. Uh, as it turns out, uh, Fanukin got a upgraded suspension from two weeks to three because he lost his uh, charge or contesting of the charge. And uh, for Waddell, he was found guilty and has gotten a five-week suspension. So where do we see these two charges, boys? Are we happy if... I mean, the judiciary process is always a bit of a crapshoot. Are we happy with the outcome's on both cases here? Oh, I think... For
0: with, mine, with the show, yeah, yeah. For
2: mine, I... I I agree with. To be honest with you, I probably agree with both of them. With Del, as soon as I saw that eye gouge, yeah, it was I like, was why, why are your hand,
1: right? why are your hands up there? Exactly.
2: Without a doubt. So he he deserved five weeks. There were some people that were trying to defend him, right, and and it really did frustrate me because it was so clear when you were watching it live or in the replays that he was going for the eyes, and it was just it was very sneaky from him. You even saw afterwards he was laughing, right, and that's really not on. So for mine, deserved it. Should have caught five weeks. The Fanuka one's 50-50, right? Because the reality is it was a head clash, right? And um, there was no intent from a shoulder point of view to put a shoulder to the head or or whatnot. All that it was 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 a, a head clash. However, the forceful nature of that run. Now, I love seeing people run the ball hard. I love seeing defensive lines come quickly off their line and, and try and defend really hard, right? It's it's the spirit of the game. That's what it's about. However, the, the style of running, it was extremely intense, right? And you've got to be careful because you've got to sort of try and stamp out that type of behavior, if you know what I mean. And when you're running at such a high speed and a high pace like that, it's bound to end in disaster, right? And I know that it didn't look like that. He had any intentions and he didn't have any intentions of trying to injure Stephen Crichton on purpose however if you've got the intent to do something like that you know the risk that will be is there by running at that speed which is severely injuring a player so it's a 50/50 call I think you know he probably deserved a week um, because of the implications on Stephen Crichton as well and I know that it's that whole debate of an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. If a player cops in a bad injury and he's out for a couple of weeks, should the the alleged attacker or the person that caused the injury face the same punishment by facing time on the sidelines? So it's a 50-50, but I think that it sends a very, very clear message to Dale Finucane that that style of play is not on and not allowed, and three weeks was way too harsh. I, I, I agree with that, but I think he probably deserves
0: something. for I think what was more stunning was that he wasn't penalized on the night because he, when you looked at it again this is Ashley a, Klein this is this is again <laughs> like first of all the on-field ref makes no decision then you also get the bunker making no call on it and I just look at it and I go um okay I I know that there's some head collision but it was just that it was it was I don't know whether you call it careless or reckless. I can't remember the differentiation that they use, but you just saw that there was arms and legs going everywhere, um, either coming into the contact or coming out of the contact. It just looked ugly. I mean, it looked really, really ugly. Um, it, there was certainly looked like there was little preserv- self-preservation going into it, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe three weeks was too harsh, but how it wasn't penalised on the field, I'll never know. As for Waddell, I have no sympathy for anyone that cops a long suspension for putting their hands up around the eyes of an opposition player, especially when you had that situation there where there was no need for his... like Upright he, tackle. He was literally... Yeah. It's an upright tackle. It's a very deliberate decision to go to the face... And the best he could have argued was, I'm giving him a facial. Well, what are you doing when you're doing a facial? You're scraping your hands across the face of an opposition player. So you're straight away being uh, reckless with what you're doing with your hands anyway. And the fact that he was quite clearly knew he was across the eyes, whether there was any scrape at the eye didn't matter. You're putting pressure on the eye. Pressure now that pressure could be more than enough to cause a significant eye injury. So no, no sympathy whatsoever. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have cared less if they had given him nine or ten weeks. To be honest, for that. thing. It, it does
1: feel like at some point it would be nice to see the judiciary come down with the hammer on these sort of actions and rub someone out for half a season to you know make a real statement. Do not be a dickhead about these things. Do not go for the eyes. Do not do those sort of you know. Play, plays that have no space for in the game. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so- now,
0: before before we jump into anything Parramatta, and given that I've just given a spray at uh, a referee, I, can I just give a quick shout out to um, the referee? I don't know who it was. Who was? Uh, I don't know. As in, I don't know his name. But having gone to watch the Gio. Schoolboy Cup match today between Hills Sport and St Pat's at Blacktown, which was played up at Kellyville, and there was a. I went to there to go watch it because there was a scattering of uh, Eels Pathways players across both teams. Not a huge number, but a scattering of of players there, um, and uh, including St Pat's being captained by uh, by Matt arthur um, a dummy half for for their school. Uh, the match was won by Hills Sports by 22 to 14 a couple of late tries got them that victory there it was an exceptionally high standard game it was as physical as i've seen in a in a schoolboys game like the, both sets of teams were hitting ferociously absolutely ferociously to the point as well where it did threaten to boil over at a couple of points there were a couple of little, well, I wouldn't say melees, but there was a little bit of push and shove. And uh, But it was that level of physicality that makes it a really good rugby league contest. Like, it was a really good game. Um, there was maybe one error that I noticed that, uh, that the officials made. and It was probably more the domain of the touch judge who missed a, a knock on right next to him. Uh, that led to a try. But I'm going to wipe that because I thought the referee had um, a great balance of control and letting the game go with the physicality. And this is going to shock you, fellas, but I I felt that strongly about it that as I was leaving the ground and I saw the referee um, heading to his car, I went up to him and I said, uh, really well controlled today well done and he said thanks and i said it was a, it was a mighty physical contest and he just went i loved it and i thought Do you know what that says a bit about the passion for the game of the official concerned and uh and you know what i felt happy that i could say that to an a, to a match official and and for a match official to get that sort of feedback from a spectator that his officiating of the game contributed to a good contest. So I just wanted to get that in there. I wish I knew the bloke's name. Um, Only a young referee. And if we have more young referees like that coming through, the better the game will be. Do I need to jump in and say the last time I praised a referee was Todd Smith?
1: <laughs> oh, before? That, the absolute mock is there, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we have him this a, week. That is, that Should
2: is. Yeah, well, fade again. <laughs> well, they have. There was actually something on Twitter I saw the other day saying congratulations to Todd Smith. It's his first year of um, officiating on his own, I think, and he's got all these big games. Like he's done a lot of the. The, the bigger, more significant matchups of this season. So, well done to him. He's a great referee coming through the ranks.
1: And just a little bit of NRL housekeeping before we do move on to some Parramatta talk. Uh, breaking stories this afternoon. Dragons are set to part with their assistant coaches as they do a bit of a cleaning of their house there, but they're going to stay on board with Hook. And then probably more importantly in the context of the 2022 season, uh, the, the Melbourne Storm have acquired winger David Nofaluma from the West Tigers on loan for the remainder of this year. So that controversial sort of August loan window rears its head again. Tigers we know are well and truly out of the hunt. All they're doing now is trying to fend off the wooden spoon. They lend out Nofaluma to the Melbourne Storm, who are running desperately low on outside backs.
0: It's uh, that is that is big news. I'm I'm glad because there was uh, it was mooted that they were going to try to get. Reese Walsh and I just thought, well, you know, how do you how do you fit in someone who's like a fringe Origin player like that, or and has played Origin? He did play Origin last year, didn't he, Reese Walsh? Off the bench, I think maybe. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, someone who's regarded as, uh, if not a superstar now, a future superstar of the game. Uh, you, how could Melbourne add someone like that? So look, Nothal Loom is probably a solid pickup for them, but I do have to ask you. There was some talk floating around this morning up at Kellyville that Peter Parr was leaving the North Queensland Cowboys and going to Newcastle Knights. Effective immediately, yeah, he's
1: been appointed their director of football.
0: That's all locked and loaded. It's been confirmed as well, which is a great move for the
2: Knights because Peter Parr, he he was played a big part in getting the Cowboys that premiership in twenty fifteen. He's a part of the Blues set up and he's a, a great move for the Knights and, and a really important appointment in my view how does
0: how does that happen a move from that from that club to that club in this season of all seasons oh, I'm stunned I'm stunned it, it was obviously such a, a big attractive offer to him for him to take it up effective immediately I, I'm I'm stunned. I'm stunned. Yeah, and you're right. It is a good move for the Knights um, to be able to get that started and started now because it it gives a run into next year, which they need. Their season's over now. So, um, yeah, get a running start for next year. I think think it is his hometown,
2: Newcastle. From what I read in, in one of the articles this morning, he comes from Newcastle. It's not the
1: first time they've been linked to him either. I think they've been chasing him for a few years. And, uh, and he is- feels
2: like he can really help with the rebuild given the, the situation they're in at the moment. There has been talk in previous years that Parramatta were looking to bring him yes. on, the Bulldogs, even the Dolphins. I mean, that would have been probably the ideal move for the Dolphins to bring someone like him there. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's going to go back to Newcastle and a big appointment. On those Dragons coaches, just quickly before we get into the para stuff, Smokey from me, right? Um, There are two assistants that have now been told their services aren't required for next year. I think the two men that are going to replace him potentially, Shane Flanagan and Jamie Sourwood. I'm putting it on the record here, right uh, right here, right now, those two gentlemen, or at least Jamie Sourwood, will get uh, one of those roles. He's very close to hook, right? Mm -hmm. We speak about it all the time because I know Jamie on a – personal level, work with him as well. And he, he has a great relationship with Hook. We know he's coaching the NRLW side as the head coach, and he is involved with the first graders in some sort of capacity. So watch this space. I'm, I'm calling it that Jamie Soward will receive one of those appointments and maybe Shane Flanagan the that,
0: that That's interesting because Shane Flanagan was an assistant at St. George before as well. So um – yeah, that is interesting. You you don't think that Hook is a dead man walking when it comes to the coaching position?
2: Look, I think I think he he is and he isn't. From what we heard last week, the club are supporting him. And at the end of the day, right? Let's be fair, right? Let's call a spade a spade. He has helped improve that side this year off the back of Ben Hunt. They have improved out of sight. They're on the cusp of the eight. They're in contention for finals. They're doing better than they were last year. So I think that, to be honest, Hook doesn't deserve to cop the sack. I think it's a little bit too early to make that call. You've got to give him at least next year and even the year after before you can make any big decisions. So he hasn't had enough time to prove himself yet, and he hasn't really had the time to build the squad and the roster that he's wanted to. Give him a bit more time and see how you go. Maybe with some better assistance, like Shane Flanagan, they might go even better next year. So I think I disagree with you on, on that one, Craig. I think he's not a dead man walking. I think, yeah, there was talk in the media, but he
0: doesn't deserve to cop the sack in my view. No, no, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that he is. I was just asking if mm. possible. And look, I'm in full marks to him because he's managed to eliminate any um, – unsanctioned barbecues this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's done well, Hook. He's done well. Right. So this time last year, I think they were on similar points this time last year and then uh, – or was it the year before? I'm just trying to think now. And, you know, another
2: thing that needs to be pointed out, right, I thought about it the other week because I was watching an old Dragons game from last year, rerun, is that he did clear a lot of dead wood out of that club and I think that's made a difference. Getting yeah. for the guys like Corey Norman, Paul Vaughan, Matt Dufty, all good things. He's bringing young guys through. We've seen them improve this year. We've seen Ben Hunt step up because he hasn't got that outside noise. It was a bit like when Corey Norman and Mitchell Moses were together, right, at Parramatta. And when Norman left, Moses's game went to the next level because those two didn't really see eye to eye. Now, I had intel at the time knowing that. But Norman is a bad influence. He was a bad influence on the Dragons and the club and – Good on hook for getting rid of them and showing those players the door because it's made the world of good and it made a huge difference at the club this year.
1: All right, nearly yeah. an hour and 14 minutes in. I think we're ready to talk about the Parramatta Eels. 60s uh, kickstart discussion on, in this regard earlier this week about some confronting stats about a few key players that are underperforming for the Parramatta Eels, Spiro. I don't know if you've got the same take that he had, but the numbers certainly aren't painting a great picture for several key contributors for Parramatta.
2: Look, I'm going to take a bit of a different approach because I know that 60's covered it off in terms of the individual player stats, which are glaring and, and show why we're not performing at our best this year. But I've got a couple of interesting team stats, which I've, I've um, picked up, which are, are quite interesting, right? And when you look at it, it shows that our credentials are not uh, top four worthy or you know even top eight worthy, unfortunately, right? Um, we've got the 10 best defense in the comp. We've got, we're have got 10th when it comes to missed tackles. We're 13th when it comes to line, line breaks conceded. And we have the third worst goal line defense in the competition. Now, the two for me that are, that are the worst, the 10th best defense and the third worst goal line defense, right? You can't do that. And, and I, it leads on nicely to dissecting that Broncos game because a credit to the boys, right? There was a passage there. Now I was sitting behind the goalpost for that game uh, in the first half when the Broncos were scoring down uh, our end of the field, right? And there was a passage there before Will Penaseni was simbined where the Broncos had the ball for I think 10 minutes straight or something like that. It was some ridiculous stat. And you know what? We defended really well and uh, we put great pressure on the Broncos and were lucky not to concede any points in that passage there. Now, it was a lot of the broncos errors which also led to that passenger play panning out the way that it did but we have these lapses where we will we'll defend really hard for that 10 minute period and then we'll literally take the foot off the the accelerator and we'll concede three quick tries you know it's it's really frustrating to watch as a fan and and the silly errors are costing us you know like when you think about it when we came back from the second half on thursday night oh. we had the chance we had the chance to um, really stand up. I thought, be able to spray them at halftime. We'll come out with a different focus this half. We'll score first and game on. It'll be a contest, right? As soon as we made that error with Lane and um, Wunga Blake and that messy drop, I knew that was game over because the Broncos capitalized on the opportunity. They stepped up. They took the game by the throat. They scored. And at that point, for me, it was the game was out of reach. Now, we did score a few tries later in the piece, but you can't be making silly errors and you can't be defending the way we are because it's not good enough. And we're going to get found out. I'm telling you now, this weekend, we've got a big opportunity to win a game. But if we play defensively and, and discipline-wise like we did last week, we're going to get done by 50. Even without Jerome Lloyd and even without Stephen Crichton, we're going to get flogged this week if we're not careful. Yeah, I,
0: I, I'm going to be honest. I I have fears this week, and I hope they're unfounded. Um, but I'm I'm basing it on what I saw last week. But I, I have I have fears that we won't come close to matching Penrith. I I, I have to be honest. Um, I I my my concern is that we have conceded a lot of points. With the defensive structure that we use, with Gutho in the line, um, I don't believe, and and I wrote this in the post, every team uses that structure. The, the well, any team that I've noticed that it's just common. The fullbacks in the line, in the quarter, in the red zone, and when the defense line moves forward, the fullbacks move back and across. So you've got um, fullbacks doing and a ridiculous amount of work. Like unless it's not, you don't notice it on television. You have to be at a game to see this, just to see how much the fullbacks have to move when they're, when the defense, when the attacks in the, in the red zone and the fullbacks are are, are trying to cover being in the line and behind the line at the same time. And we've been caught out really badly because the short kicks behind the line, find us out. Um, there's been times where the defense or the attack will look as if they're going one way, but they go the other or, or maybe Gutho picks the wrong way when the play goes the other way, or he's just not, I mean, he's not fast that like, as in, you know, Billy Slater fast. Yeah, or he, run, or he like, runs
1: rings around all of us, obviously, but yeah, when it yeah, comes yeah. to the elite fullbacks, it's never been yeah. his strong point.
0: No, no, it's not his strength. He's got other strengths. Um, I said in the in the post yesterday that his defense efficiency is is almost down to a career low, which is basically he, he's missing tackles when the someone breaks the line and he's missing them because he's not in great position. Like he's under pressure trying to get to the to the break. So um, you, you half expect that he's that he's going to be missing the, the tackle when the line break is made, let alone. The issues that we have from a kick. So um, Parramatta's made adjustments again. They're they're starting to they've they've adopted a slide defence, and it doesn't mean you're not going to get a full uh, a winger jam. But I, I just have concerns that I mean, do we go to a more traditional fullback behind the line in the in the quarter? Probably they probably won't. Um, but I don't know. I I can't see us holding out Penrith's attack this week. I just think, as Spiro said, that defensive record isn't good and it's actually getting worse. Um, So unless we, we can make changes or unless we can put on that much pressure via our attack that we make it, Harder for them to attack, and that's that's the other side of the coin too. Is if you're not asking enough questions in attack, the other team's got plenty of gas for their own attack, and and also if you're not effectively keeping them down their end with your attack and 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 getting good kicks into the corner, and then working well at that end, if you're allowing them to get easy meters, and to and to launch in that quarter, and you talked about the goal line attack and how bad. Defensive stats are around that. Well, you know, the opposition—if they've got a lot of gas left in the tank—they're probably going to score. So, um, yeah, I, I do have fears. It's probably the most negative that you've heard me sound. But, but look, Craig, I don't blame
2: you because it's really frustrating, right? We've got to the point where, once again, come this time of year, we're losing games we should not be losing. And we're not stepping up to the plate. And it's a recurring theme. It happens every single year. I I saw a memory come up the other day. It was about a year ago this round since we played the Raiders at CBUS and we lost on the buzzer. You know, these games, that is what hurts us as a club, you know, and and it ruins it all. It ruins all the good work we've done and all the positive things we've done this year when we put up performances like we did last week, right? And fans have a right to be upset with the club as a whole and with this team because – We've got the side on paper, but we've either run out of ideas in attack and defence, which I think is the case, um, and we're just not, I don't know, like, is our heart not in it? I thought our heart was in it. I thought these boys are hungry for a premiership, and I'm not questioning that, but I'm just saying, what is the problem? Why is this happening, and why does it keep happening? Something needs to change.
0: Well, I I had a look at last year, right, and... We were, I think we were sitting at around about the second best defence, despite people had concerns about our defence out wide last year, but coming into around 19 last year, I think we had about the second best defence in the comp. We lost four in a row, as you probably all remember, and it started with that Canberra game, and then we got absolutely belted by the likes of Manly and the Roosters and someone else, I can't remember. But... We had a hundred, we conceded 190 points across the last six games last year. And then, even after conceding 190 points, we finished with the fourth best defense in the NRL. That's how good we were going early part of the season. Now, we then were outstanding in that final against Penrith. We conceded one try. We lost the game. We know why we lost the game, and we only conceded one try against Penrith, and we'd we'd already beaten um, Melbourne a couple of weeks prior to that. So somehow we came out of it. The defence improved. We beat Melbourne. We beat Penrith, um, but we saw the glimpses that evidence was on the board about stronger defence last year. This year we haven't really seen it in evidence too much at all like there's been even in the games that we've won there's been times where we've looked really dodgy and you know i as i said i i made the point of i highlighted some players who were so far down on their stats last year um and i i, I can't i can't escape where the form of both Reid and Gutho is. I can't escape it. Like, And it's not saying they're not busting a gut, but their numbers are so far down on what they did last year, it's not funny. Like, Gutho's, so- Gutho's I gone. Yeah. I was just saying, Gutho's gone from six try assists last, uh, 20 try assists last year to six this year. And I mentioned about that defensive stat. I'm not even looking at stats about how many kicks he's fumbled this year. And we're not talking about, oh, he's under pressure, he's missed a kick. We're talking about the ball goes down on the ground, he fumbles it. Or even in that, what was the game against Canberra, wasn't it, where it was a straightforward kick? On the goal line, And he just dropped it. Now, you would go for an entire season, if it happened to Gutho once, where he made a stuff up, it stood out like the veritable dog's balls. Like, Gutho's made an error. Like, that'd be like, what it'd be like. He's made an error like you'd almost be stunned. Um, but it's not that's not the case this year. So I think the key, like the fullback is so is so critical. If he can lift his game, and you've got to remember the fullback's not just critical to attack, the fullback's critical to defense. He's organizing that defense in front of him. When we're in our quarter, he's trying to organize it from the line. Not from behind the line, but from the line. What's he seeing? If he's actually standing at the ruck, what can he see? He can't see where they've worked for an overlap, can he? Like, he's frantic. He's got a. He's thinking about how can he get back and cover it. I, I you know, I. If I'm if I'm critical of the coaching, I'm critical that we. Are using that defensive system with one of the slower fullbacks mm-hmm. in the competition, and I think we're playing away from Gutho's strengths, or Gutho is as well. Like in attack, he has to be around the ruck. He is an elite support player. He's an elite player at getting into the dummy half and taking a dart from dummy half, rather than, you know, when Reed is is, um, it just almost as a it, he he used to be so good at at getting in there, recognizing an opportunity to get in there himself and take a run, like on the third or fourth tackle. Some of the elite fullbacks are very good at doing that. Up they come on the third or fourth tackle and taking a dart from dummy half. Um, James Tedesco, for example, is yeah, one of them. Yes, you know? we we um, just, we used to see it from Gutho. We just
2: don't see it. And Reed as well. Like Reed has to run more from dummy half. I think. I don't know, when did I see him do it? Was it last week or he, he did it once last week? Our no-try,
1: our uh, bike no-try came on the back of Reid Money getting out of yeah, the house it's
2: like, Yeah, it's like, man, if he starts running the ball, the opportunities will come. They just have to yep. do it. Now, I don't know if I'm, I'm going out on one limb here, guys, but if you look at our defensive stats, right, how terrible they are, is it time we look at our defensive coach? Now, is Steve Murphy the guy that's heading up our defence? Correct no. me if I'm wrong.
0: No, it was, it was... Dave Kidwell, he
2: was ours. Kidwell, okay, well... Kidwell, Kidwell departed early this Kidwell year to left, join right?
1: the Pumas,
0: yeah. They, yep.
2: We should have, at the end of the day, as good as Ryan Carr is, they should have brought in a specialist defensive coach or they should be next year bringing in one of the better defensive coaches in the league to try and fix this up because it's a problem, right? And we're not going to point the finger at Brad, fine, but we've got to be pointing our finger at who's in charge of our defence, right? Because it's not good enough. Right? it doesn't add up. It, it's a glaring problem. It's so obvious. It's so blatant. You're you're seventh on the ladder, and you've got the tenth best defence or the third worst goal line defence in the competition. So yeah. really, your defence is not even worthy of being in the top eight. That's what it. That's what it's saying. And that's a big drop off from what we've seen last year and years gone by. So something has to be done about our defence. Whether it's get a specialist defensive coach in there to fix this mess up, change. You know, don't um, clip the wings of Gutho. Let him run the ball a little bit more. Let him change the way that he plays. That might be the answer. I don't know what it is. But our fans are looking for answers and the club need to start thinking about how they're going to going to solve these issues and, and provide answers for people that want them.
0: Well, the, 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 there has to be something because um, Gutho's there for another three years after this year. So they have to find a way to better utilise his skills and, and to maybe minimise um, what... He isn't good at because yeah we're not we're not getting nothing's going to change too much uh, soon. So we but we do have change this week. We have um, fitting in with BA's um, rotation around the uh, one bench position. Uh, we now have Cartwright coming in uh, this week and and Jake Arthur dropping back to uh, New South Wales Cup. Yeah, look,
2: my take on this, guys, first of all, it's good for Jake that he's going to actually get some more game time in New South Wales Cup. His development, for his future success, I feel that the experience of him playing in New South Wales Cup against a very strong Penrith side, the experience that he will get there for his own development and for the club's development is going to be better than sitting on the bench for 75 minutes or 70 minutes and coming on in the last 10 when the game's over against Penrith at the first grade level. So... I think it's good for Jake and I think it's good for Bryce because Cartwright, he has proven in a couple of games he's played this year that he can come on, inject himself and bring a little bit of X-Factor and and star power. He did it when we played the Roosters at Combank. That was one of the best games I think I've seen him play in the blue and golden. We haven't seen enough of Bryce Cartwright this year, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. But at the end of the day, it comes down to how many minutes is he going to get?
0: Will Brad I'm going to use if it I'm going go on limb here. I'm going to go out on a limb here, Spiro. I think he's going to get longer minutes than, than uh, what's what's happened recently. Just yep. Uh, I I'll, I'll go. I'll go out and I'll tip. He won't be just coming on for the last five minutes. Well, that's what I want to hear, right?
2: Yeah. And that's how it should be. Um, A few people have said it this week, right? I've listened to a bit of commentary and and from our own, right? I'll take a bit from what Darrell Broman said on the continuous call team on Friday night. Now, I was working on Friday night and we got inundated with calls from Parramatta fans, right? Even though it was a day after our loss, inundated of disappointed, depressed Parramatta fans that are really upset with what our team are dishing up at the moment, right? To give you guys a bit of context. There were about five or six calls people that went to air in frustration, para fans. And, uh, you know, there were more that didn't go to air, right? But there, there are some really frustrated fans out there, and I can understand that. In terms of what Darrell said, right, he is just absolutely confused as to why we are running with 16 players, right? And you bring someone like Jake Arthur or Kai Rodwell in those early weeks on for a short amount of time, right?
0: And you I know spoken Opec- about it. And Opechek, Opec, sorry. You can throw in Hayes Perham. And you, in, and you can throw in um, Cartwright earlier in the year. And Forty's uh, actually the best one on this because we had a discussion about it the other day. So after you offer your take, I'll get Forty mm. to come in because he he analyzes it quite well. Yeah, so we've spoken about it in the past,
2: right? I know
0: we've spoken about
2: it. You guys know what I think. I think it's it's just poor coaching, right? It's poor decision-making and poor coaching to run with 16 players. And it'll cost us. So. I like what you said there, 60s, about this week, Cartwright playing more minutes because when push comes to shove against quality teams like the Panthers, we can't afford to run with 16, right? So I'm glad that that's what you think and I will just hope it comes to fruition. But it's just it's, – it's really dumb. Like it's really frustrating as a fan and it looks stupid. It, it does. And people in the media are starting to observe it. Analysts are starting to observe it and we're getting found out, right? BA was getting away with it in the early weeks, but now people are starting to
0: notice it, and it's not good. Forty, you, you, we, we, we talked about this. I thought, uh, I thought you analysed it quite well.
1: Yeah, I suppose once again, playing, you know, the the contrasting point of view here is while BA's bench management has been something I've written about in the past as a point of frustration in seasons prior. Part of me sort of understands where he's coming from in 2022, in that the way our forward pack is constructed, uh, we have a lot of high-minute starters. So obviously our two edge players generally play 80 minutes in a game, being Sean Lane and Isaiah Papali'i. They can get rotated if they've got you know a particularly monstrous workload, but in a given week you'd be expecting them to go 80 minutes. And likewise for our free starting middles, or maybe not starting middles necessarily, but our free primary middle forwards in Junior Barlow, Reagan Campbell, Gillard, and Ryan Madison. Each of them will be playing consistently fifty to sixty minutes. So you're talking about in in your entire five on-field forward positions, being your uh, two props, your lock forward, and then the two edge players. You've got of non-starters or non-primary forwards. You've got maybe half an hour at each prop forward position and twenty minutes at lock forward that you have available to your your bench, so you're you're looking to try and rotate, you know, three or four guys in there, and it becomes a bit of a, a conundrum, I suppose. And I I can kind of understand where Arthur is coming from with the way he's rotating his forwards because of that, but I can also see why fans are frustrated that the seventeenth player in a team seemingly doesn't have a position. That's probably where the loss of Will Smith and also Ray Stone, who were the two people that Brad Arthur really trusted to be able to fill both emergency positions and also have a a set position in the rotation when. Yeah, you know, the plan hasn't gone awry. Uh there have been two big losses of the Parramatta reels in twenty twenty two.
0: Yeah, it's when you broke it down like that and said, Look, there's um if we take out the um say the eighty minutes, and that's probably eighty minutes max, eighty minutes max to rotate between the four bench players, then you're looking at um you know, at the best, at the most, 20 minutes each. But then you're looking at someone like um, a Kafusi or a or, um, uh, uh, Murata Nukore, who you probably want to give them about, you know, 30 minutes each. So once you've given them 30 minutes each, you're left with 20 minutes of rotation amongst the other two players. And essentially, he's been giving 15 minutes to one and five minutes to another. Uh, when course. you
2: think about it that way, it does make sense. I agree. But I just think our strategy and our game plan probably needs to change. I, I suppose that's year. probably the
1: better question, Spiro, is Is mm. there a better rotation policy in terms of certain combinations for the middle? Like obviously Junior and Reg is our premier prop uh, rotation and you want them on the field as much as possible. But there might be periods in the game where we're going to our bench in pairs and the opposition are sort of seizing on it maybe, and maybe we might need to be yeah. you know, sp- uh, staggering the minutes of Reg and Junior better alongside Oregon and Makotoa uh, off the interchange.
2: I agree. Yeah. Like you can't have both of them off at the same time. They're too important to our side. So they've got to change that. And when you think about it next year, right, no Oregon, no Morata. So two bench players that, are, that bring that impact will not be there. So you start to think, well, Jermaine Hopgood's going to be at the club. Will he be coming off the bench? Uh, is Hickey Ogden someone who uh, we bring into that position? I'd like to see a bit of Hickey Ogden. I mean, we signed him and uh, I don't know how he's been playing in New South Wales Cup. I haven't seen too many of the games that he's been involved in, but I'd like to see someone like that have a go and, and, and see what a big, big bopper like him would bring
0: to our side. I, I don't think he's had the impact that he had earlier in the season before his injury. Just on what I've what I've seen of him uh, playing, I'd, I'd I'd like to see a little bit more from him in um, in the this back end of the season in terms of what he's what he's bringing onto the field because he was a high impact player and really really making his presence felt in the uh, at the st- at the start of the season. The other the other thing too is that um, we've been using Reed primarily as as an eighty minute player and as John said, that loss of Will Smith really takes has taken away that, um, that utility position that can not just cover the halves but also the dummy half. And, and Brad looked at doing that for those weeks where he was using Jake because that's basically what Jake was covering. He, he's there to cover an injury to the halves or an injury at dummy half or or even at, at worst you've, you've got an, an injury to anyone in the back line and you've got that that sort of um, shift of positions that would be possible to to cover that where someone like Moses or, or Dylan Brown can co- go out into the, into the outside backs if there's an injury. But we haven't got that player like Will Smith and as a consequence we've seen say, five different players, even Mitch Rain himself earlier in the year, being used as that extra bench player that's hardly got uh, – well, I think uh, John described it as garbage minutes or rubbish minutes that they end up playing. But, um, yeah, uh, interesting. But it, uh, I I believe that it, that we were going to have um, a different player in there this week. I wasn't sure it was going to be. And interesting to see Opachik as being used in the forwards this week in the back row in the uh in the New South Wales cup team. So and speaking
1: um, of that, you know, sort of bench utility position, Brendan Hands getting the first starting nod over Mitch Rain. Yes. So that's so, a,
0: that that's that becomes even more interesting when you when we're starting to think what the bench options are in first grade that Mitch Rain is now on the bench in New South Wales Cup. So um now just looking to to wrap things up, um the two points this week. Um what what do we think our chances are? penrith got a few players out. Um, it's a big opportunity. Um, it's a big weekend for us with the meet TCT down at the club after the game. We want to make sure we get that in. But, yeah, big chance to get the two points. Can we do it? Look, first off, the disappointing part is I, I won't be
2: there for the meet TCT and I won't even be at the game this Friday. I know it's... It's, uh, it's caused a bit of controversy in the household and with a few of my mates, but I've been called to work on the Commonwealth Games coverage for 2GB uh-huh. and, and for the network, uh, for all the nine radio stations across Australia. So I'm working odd hours. I start at 11 p.m. Friday night and work through to 7 a.m. Saturday morning. So I <laughs> will not be there and I'm gutted because I was so looking forward to this game. Um, but, you know, as I said earlier, if we serve up a defensive performance and we play like we did last week and make silly errors, then we're going to get flogged. However, if we can put together a complete performance and we can play like we did against the Panthers earlier in the year, muscle up in defence, play hard, put pressure on, on their side um, and capitalise on opportunities that we get and scoring opportunities that we get, because I just feel like last week we didn't do that. We had so many chances to score, but we couldn't get over the line and score points. Then I think we're a chance. So it could go either way. I'm going to tip Parramatta, 1-12. to Micah Sivo, anytime try scorer, because he is in some fine form at the moment, right? That is probably the one positive as a Para fan and one player that you can't say isn't performing well because Micah is on fire and Dylan Brown, man of the match. I think he's really going to step up this week. We're getting closer to the finals. Big game against Penrith. With uh, with uh, Luai out, with Crichton out, he'll step up to the plate. So I'm going to tip Parramatta, but they have to put in a complete
0: performance and really muscle up in defence. It would be. I'm, the most I'm hoping that we get. I'm hoping that we get all four spine players in form this week, uh, and I know Forty and I'll be talking about this in more detail in our in our preview. But I, I agree with you; it's time for the defence to really step up for our intensity, I think, to step up. i would be no excuse that they couldn't do so against Penrith, but it's, it's almost now or never because we don't want to drop another two points. But with the way the teams are playing each other, two points in our pocket, man, could there's no better time to get two points in our pocket. It'll so also be the most panometric possible
1: to complete the sweep of the Penrith Panthers by playing two rounds of incredible, immaculate football, and then you know hand what will probably be Penrith's only losses of the season to them. Uh, so yeah, I, I am feeling—I don't know if it's optimistic, but probably irrationally hopeful.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I like that. I like that, mate. It's, uh that's. That might be a good way, a good way to um, wrap up our news episode, mate. Yeah, well, what a monster and episode! Your irrational hopefulness.
1: Yeah, so so much to talk about this week, and and like we said, those conversations are far from concluded. There is going to be more to come back to, and obviously when those things develop, we will talk about them. But as always, thanks for stopping by and giving myself, Sixties and Spiro, a listen. Hope you enjoyed some robust discussion because there were some important topics we did tread upon today and I think I'd like to think that we did it in the right manner with respect to all parties so if you have anything to add to the discussion please keep it in that spirit we want to hear from all of you but you know until the next episode stay safe guys
0: go you eels